Today's going to look a little different. We're going to use a couple of different passages. The first one, you can find that in your bulletin, is Hebrews chapter 2. And as you're turning there, just to get our minds uh, prepared for hearing God's word, I want us to think about this, that most people nowadays do not disagree with the fact that Jesus existed. Pretty much now, everybody agrees that there was a person named Jesus of Nazareth who lived in the first century. Where there is disagreement is on who he was in that, was he divine? And we talked about that last week. But also where there is actual controversy is what did he accomplish So not that Jesus existed, but who is Jesus? And we saw that last week, that he is truly God and truly man. But also, why is Jesus? Why did he come? What did he accomplish through his life, death, and resurrection? Again, inspired by the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that we'll sing a little later. We're going to use the second half of the third verse, where there's this repeated... Uh, three times in succession, born to. Meaning, what was Jesus born to do? And today, using three different passages from Hebrews, Philippians, and the Gospel of John, we're going to see that three of the things Jesus was born to do was to defeat death, resurrect his followers, and give us the new birth of salvation. So let's turn to that first passage I have listed there, Hebrews chapter 2. And again, utilizing the carol, we're going to see, Born that man no more may die. Let's begin by reading verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 2. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now again, we're coming into the middle of a passage here. We're jumping into chapter 2 of a book, so let me give you a little context here. At the beginning of the book of Hebrews, the writer says Jesus is better than angels. But we need to think, Why would he need to say that? So push out any depictions from the Far Side comics or those naked little baby cherubs from Renaissance art. Because if you look at those two things, it's not hard to see that Jesus is better. We're helped by a passage like Ezekiel chapter 1. Let me read one excerpt from Ezekiel chapter 1 that describes an actual angel. As for the likeness of the living creatures, in this context that's referring to an angel, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Again, that's pretty different than a naked baby with tiny wings. The appearance of fire and burning coal and lightning. 
Now again, in the context of Hebrews, another reason that the writer felt he needed to say that Jesus was better than angels is that we have historical evidence that there was false teaching at that time that viewed Jesus as an archangel, not as fully the Son of God. And so this is the main reasons why the writer of Hebrews refers to the incarnation, Jesus becoming human, as for a little while was made a little lower than the angels. The idea is that Jesus in his earthly body did not radiate glory and lightning, the notable exception being the transfiguration. Find us a passage like Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, it said, But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Or, as Hark the Herald Angels puts it, mild he lays his glory by. Jesus humbled himself in the incarnation. But even though he humbled himself, we see in that next phrase that he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death. This speaks to one of the ironies of the cross and what appeared as the defeat and shameful humiliation of Jesus in the crucifixion was actually the means of his victory. Again, to connect this back to Philippians chapter 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hebrews tells us that Jesus humbled himself, but in doing so, he was crowned with glory and honor. And we see this in the result of Jesus' incarnation here in verse 9. So that, good purpose, result word. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. One of the things that Jesus accomplished in becoming fully man and dying and rising again was dying so that he might taste or experience death for everyone. Jesus died so that all who place their trust in him will not have to experience the full experience of death. Death is not the end for the believer of Jesus. Now, until Christ returns, we will experience physical death. But for all believers in Jesus, death is not the end. We have the hope of the resurrection. As Jesus said to Martha in John chapter 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. We'll say more about the resurrection a little bit because it's sort of the opposite side of the same coin. 
But for now, I want to focus on this idea of Jesus tasting death for everyone. Or again, as the carol says, born that man no more may die. Jesus died so you don't have to. The author of Hebrews continues his argument in verses 14 and 15. Look at that. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that is flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Again, it's interesting to see the different ways that the writer of Hebrews talks about the incarnation. And here, he describes it in verse 14 as he himself likewise partook or took on the same things, flesh and blood. Jesus took on flesh and blood so that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is, the devil. When Jesus died, he did not stay dead. And when he rose again, one of the ways that the Bible talks about the effects of death and resurrection of Jesus is that death and Satan are defeated. We think of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus truly became a man, and because Jesus truly died, death itself is defeated. And those who belong to Jesus in faith have victory over death. We see this in in verse 17. Look at that with me. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Again, another slightly different way to talk about the incarnation. Jesus was made like us in every respect so that that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Again, as we discussed last week and as we discussed throughout Christmas, Jesus was fully man. He was made like us in every way. But this was done for a purpose so that he could make propitiation for the sins of the people. What does that big word mean? The sacrificial death of Jesus paid the punishment our sin deserved. And the sacrificial death of Jesus satisfied the perfectly just wrath of God against sinners. It is because he was truly human that he could be our sacrifice and pay the price our sin deserves. At this point, I also want to highlight that it's important, and I hope that you've seen this throughout our study this Advent, that the Christmas story doesn't end with Christmas. Jesus was born on Christmas so that he could later die for our salvation, paying for our sins and satisfying the wrath and justice of God. Now, I want to go back to verse 15 because the writer of Hebrews builds into these verses a very poignant application for us today. Look at verse 15 again. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
When you belong to Christ, because he has defeated death, you do not have to fear death. You do not have to be subject to lifelong slavery to death. You are set free to live your life because Jesus killed death. Now on this side of heaven, we experience this as a future promise. And as I said, we will still experience physical death, but because Jesus defeated death, our death leads to eternal life. And when we die or when Christ returns, we will experience eternal life where death has been killed. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Death will simply be no more. In heaven, we, experience, we will experience the fullness of this promise. No more pain, no more tears, no more death. And so when we sing this carol, we are declaring and celebrating that Jesus died so we will not. Jesus died so that we will be resurrected to eternal life when we die. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Let's turn to that next born to phrase from the carol. Born to raise the sons of earth. And I want you to flip over to the book of Philippians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 20. I'm thankful to author Nancy Guthrie for an article she wrote on the carol that connected this line uh, to this passage of Scripture. And like I said before, the idea of Jesus defeating death and the idea of resurrection are, again, two sides of the same coin. And, and it's, it's saying what Jesus did took away death and then gave us the resurrection, so let's look at Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The immediate context of verse 19, right before this, is speaking of the judgment of unbelievers. It says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly. But in contrast with that, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. In contrast to having minds set on earthly things in verse 19, we have our minds awaiting a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's important to note here that if we belong to Jesus in faith, our ultimate citizenship is in the heavenly kingdom of God. We think of what Jesus said at his trial, my kingdom is not from this world, in John 18. We can love our country and appreciate our citizenship in this country and all the privileges that that entails. 
but our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, and our ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus. And as citizens of heaven who live between Jesus' first and second comings, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then Paul continues on with what will happen when our waiting is done and Jesus returns. We read in verse 21 there that Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. When Jesus returns, those who belong to him in faith will be raised from the dead and given resurrection bodies. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you will receive a glorious body like Jesus. Now, we don't know much about Jesus' resurrection body. There isn't a lot of biblical data on it. But I think there's a few things that we can know with that certain level of confidence. Number one, your resurrection body will be a healthy body. This is where we take the accounts of Jesus in concert with passages like we just read in Revelation chapter 21. If there's no pain in the new heavens and the new earth then I believe we can know with certainty that our bodies will be healthy bodies. There's no cancer in heaven. There's no arthritis in heaven. That stiffness when you get out of bed in the morning, gone. Jesus will give you a body not consumed by the pain and sickness of this world, but will be healed and healthy. Secondly, you will still be you. In the accounts of Jesus appearing after the resurrection, Jesus was recognized as Jesus. Now, what I don't know is what version of you you will be. I don't know how old you're going to be. Are we all going to be 33 like Jesus? I don't know. But what, I do, what we do know is we'll, we'll be us. You'll still be you. We don't lose our personhood in heaven. We don't become floating amoebas of energy. We'll have an actual resurrection body. Jesus had hands and feet. The disciples were able to touch his scars from the crucifixion. Their bodies, even though they're glorious. And thirdly, and this is sort of just a fun one, apparently we can still eat. One of my favorite verses in the resurrection story, because it's just so normal, here is the resurrected Jesus, and this is from Luke chapter 24, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. In the midst of seeing the resurrected Jesus, Jesus is like, hey, you got some fish? And he ate the fish. And that is recorded for all of history. We're not going to be beams of light that float around. We're still going to be people, and apparently we can eat. Which is nice, because the Bible can compare heaven to a wedding feast. Jesus came to this world as a baby. And not only did he kill death, he promises a resurrected body and eternal life to all those who have placed their trust in him. Again, there is this note of triumph 
when we sing this particular song, and especially these particular lines, this, this triumphal declaration of the resurrection. Born to raise the sons of earth. We are declaring resurrection and eternal life. Let me close this part of the sermon from the article I mentioned earlier. I wanted to read you a slightly longer quote that I think, I think helps us to appreciate this passage and this carol. Author writes, she says, Our great hope is not just going to heaven when we die, though that is so wondrously good. But God has much grander plans. Our great hope is that Christ will come again, not as a helpless baby in a manger, but as a magnificent king on a throne. A king who will be close enough and gentle enough to wipe every tear from our eyes. He will personally put an end to everything that has brought his people pain. He will raise the sons of earth by transforming our lowly body to be like his glorious body and to live with him forever on a gloriously renewed earth. Born to raise the sons of earth. Let's look at that third line from the carol, born to give them second birth. Let's turn over to those familiar words in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. I've selected out part of the passage. I won't do the whole passage this morning. When I was planning out uh, this set of sermons, and I told you at the beginning that that son of righteousness, S-U-N, son, was really what prompted it. But also, this last phrase, born to give them second birth. It's such an explicit, non-Christmas story citation in A Christmas Carol. Charles Wesley, the author, is drawing us. He's like, guys, this is about the second birth that Jesus talks about in John. And there's no confusing that. <laughs> Jesus didn't stay a baby. Jesus did not stay in the manger. But the author says this is all about the second birth. So let's read Beginning in verse 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to, said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born 
of the Spirit. For the sake of time, I just want to focus on some significant, some specific parts of the larger passage. In particular, I want to go back to verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We also see this in verse 3, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot become a part of God's kingdom, a part of God's people. This is one way the Bible talks about our salvation. You can't become a part of God's kingdom without having a second birth, born again. In verse 8, referred to as born of the Spirit. I want to take a moment and think about this idea that Jesus uses the language of birth in order to understand our salvation. One of the really important distinctions of the Christian faith is that our faith includes commands, but is not limited to commands. In fact, you get in a lot of trouble if your Christianity is only a list of the commands from the Bible. Because then, especially when your kids find other lists of rules in this world, they might like the lists better in another philosophy or religion. But one of the great parts of Christianity is it's more than rules. And I think this idea of being born again, it protects us from a legalism that leads to a brittle faith. Because too often we reduce Christianity to being strict, and that just leads to a brittle Christianity that breaks under any pressure. Because Christianity is not just a collection of Jesus merit badges that make you a better person. Christianity is more than just, here's a way to have a better marriage and a better life. At the center of Christianity is not the idea that you need to be a better person. You need to be a completely new person. Christianity is not improvement. Christianity is transformation. You don't need to be 10% better. You need to be made new. You need to be born again. And, And the rest of the Bible fills out that when we are born again through faith and repentance, then we'll be able to live the life of those commands and the goodness of those commands and the wisdom of those commands. But too often it is so easy because we want credit to flip that around and limit Jesus to a guy who gave you 10 rules for a good life. You don't need to just be improved. You need to be saved and made new. Jesus was born so that you could be born again. So that you could be a new creation. Not you could just be a better you. Because if that was true, 
we should all just try to do better and try a little harder. But if the goal is regeneration of a transformed life, then you don't need a guru. You need a savior. And Jesus is that savior. Jesus was born lived a perfect life here on earth, and died and rose again so that all who repent of their sins and place their trust in him will be saved and will be born again. It is only through the new birth we have in Jesus that we will see the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't born to make you a better person. He was born so that you could be born again and saved born to give them second birth. A couple thoughts as we close up this morning. Again, as we've been singing this song each week, I, I can't help as I've looked forward to where we're going in these different sermons, that this song of triumph and celebration. When we sing these words, we celebrate that Christmas was the opening chapter of the story of our salvation. And we see three aspects of that this morning. So let me make a couple comments by way of conclusion and review. Number one, Jesus was born to kill death. Jesus secured victory over death through his life, death, and resurrection. And if you are a believer in Christ, death is not the end. You do not have to face the judgment of death of those who have rejected Christ. He tasted death. He experienced death so that you don't have to. And as the Hebrews passage specifically mentioned, because of this, we no longer need to fear death because our Savior has triumphed over death. And we look forward to that day where we have fully realized that promise that death will be no more. Secondly, Jesus was born to give you a resurrection body and eternal life. Related to the death of death, believers in Jesus have the guaranteed hope of resurrection and eternal life. We won't turn into balls of energy or some cosmic force. We will have resurrected bodies like Jesus. We will be healed and we will enjoy eternal life with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. And our present sufferings are nothing compared to to our hope in the resurrection and eternal life. Thirdly, Jesus was born to save you and give you new life. We have a problem that is not fixed with simply living better. Self-improvement is not enough. You need to be reborn. Jesus said you must be born again to be saved. And Jesus was born so that all who place their trust in him will be born again. Through faith in Jesus, we are transformed into new people with new life. Jesus was born not to be a self-help guru, but to be the Savior who would give us new life. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you sent your son to be born on earth, to defeat death, to secure for us eternal life, and to give us the salvation of new birth. God, that we would celebrate that this Christmas season, that the birth of Jesus was the beginning of a chapter that brings about our salvation, and one day we will fully realize your promise of being with you where death and pain and sickness are no more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.